You're listening to GP Works, the podcast for and about general practice from the Irish College of General Practitioners. I'm Aileen Amara and with me today is Professor Tom O'Dowd, who is the current president of the ICGP. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Where are we sitting right now? We're sitting in the middle of Tala in an eight floor building, which is an academic primary care centre with uh, Trinity College on the top three floors. Uh, we're here on the GP floor. We have accommodation here for about 10 GPs, practice nursing and various other specialties, including physio, on this floor. Downstairs, we have a pharmacy and we have an X-ray unit, which is ultrasound, plain films, DEXA scanning, and shortly we'll have an MRI unit. So this isn't your typical general practice, is it? No, but I have been in typical general practices for most of my life and uh, an opportunity came along with this building at the height of the crash and the time to innovate is when uh, things are on their knees and we were able to acquire this building at a reasonable rate uh, from NAMA. We were able to develop it with a private company called Talicare and uh, we have never looked back. And you've got a practice manager, you've got admin staff, not just GPs. Yes. We're in a high population area here. So give me an idea of the demographic breakdown of the practice. Well, the population of Tala is as big as uh, Limerick. It's over 70,000 and increasing all the time. There's a range of uh, socio-economic groupings. Uh, most of our practice qualify for medical cards. Uh, so they're in the lower socioeconomic group. Uh, when we built this place originally, when we developed it, the uh, good people of Tala looked in and said to me, is this place for us or is it all private? And I thought it was a failure of a republic, really, that we could still have that kind of division between public and private. Isn't that one of the stresses, though, that GPs are facing every day at the moment in Ireland, that you have... You have two patients, you have two types of patients. There's the patient that needs to be seen but has to wait and the patient that needs to be seen but can pay for it and be seen immediately. You have a ringside seat as a GP on inequalities, there's no doubt about it. Just this morning I had to uh, see a patient with uh, a very painful hip. The x-ray shows quite a lot of arthritis. She's in her 70s so I said to her, what do you want to do? And she said, well... I'm in my 70s. By the time I'll get a hip replacement, I'll probably be nearly 80. I'm much too old to go on a waiting list, so I'll have to take the tablets. And of course, the tablets will cause side effects, dependency, all of that kind of thing. And we have to call that what it is. It's an injustice. Uh, if she had uh, uh, health insurance, I would refer her to a very nice orthopaedic surgeon who would see her and she would have a new hip by Christmas. And that's very difficult to uh, sit and watch. And we have to remember that, unfortunately, it's what people in Ireland have voted for, or at least they have allowed to happen. And it's their relatives, it's my relatives, it's your relatives, uh, who are suffering. So we haven't got 
healthcare right. So how did you become a GP yourself? Well, I was the um, first in my family uh, to get to university and uh, went straight to medical school, mainly because I came from a family of nurses and I saw the role my mother had in a community where she was the go-to person for all kinds of things. And um, that awakened my interest very much in it. I went to medical school in Galway, and then I did, I'd heard about a GP training scheme in Cork, which was said to be the best in the country, so I thought I'd have a shot at it. And it was run, of course, by the legendary Bill Shannon, who's been a lifelong friend and mentor ever since and is hale and hearty at the age of 80 for anybody who's uh, listening. And I then became interested in teaching. So I went off to the medical school in Cardiff and I found I really wasn't a great teacher. I was a much better researcher than teacher. Uh, I didn't quite, and it's been a lifelong thing, is that you need a lot of patience to be a good teacher. And I admire good teachers, but I can't say that I've been one. But nonetheless, I've had a lot of responsibility for teaching. But fortunately, I've known good teachers who could do it. I mean, you are a professor of general practice. Yes, I know. I can say that now. I'm (laughs) retired. I could never say that when I uh, was in the job. Why not? They'd fire me. (laughs) (laughs) You talked about Bill Shannon there and joining the training scheme then. I mean, training for GPs was different then, wasn't it, to the structured approach yes it was it was uh, you got your attachments in the hospital jobs um, and uh, in my case I thoroughly enjoyed them I must say and then I spent a year in uh, practice in Kinsale with uh, Dr Tom O'Leary who was a great uh, support but it was just a year and uh, quite honestly I didn't feel after a year that I knew the job I just knew enough to know that it was very complicated which was another reason I left to join, which was then NHS General Practice, which again was a sleepy enterprise with all the emphasis on hospital care. And even then, I could see that this really was going nowhere, this kind of uh, investment in uh, secondary and then secondary care became tertiary care and gobbled up even more uh, funding. Whereas the problems I saw were often mental health, behaviour issues, tobacco, alcohol, and of course, laterally, drugs, which have really uh, accentuated all the mental health and behaviour issues, particularly in deprived communities like this. That's a very broad area you've, you've covered there in that. I mean, you, as president, you, you gave a presentation to the graduates at the graduation ceremony, which was virtual. And you talked about the GP identity. What do you mean by that? Well... It's interesting that if I was a cardiologist or a surgeon and I said at a dinner party I'm a cardiologist or surgeon, people would know exactly what I did because it's a quite narrow range of activities. But as a GP, I have such a wide range of activities and I see many of my colleagues I suppose, flirting with specialisms. Some are good at joint injections. I do that, of course. Some are good at uh, dermatology. And in a way, it's because our identity is 
I, I think it's confused with that of being a doctor. Because essentially what I am is I'm a doctor working in a system that is general practice. And as a doctor, you have professional and ethical concerns, like the injustice we talked about, which is an ethical issue. But as a general practitioner, I'm a pragmatist, and I say, well, that's what people wanted, that's what people voted for. And those identities are often at war with each other. When I'm doing the job, I'm sitting here as a GP, and that woman with the bad hip, well... That's the way it is. I'll give her the anti-inflammatories and I'll give her the analgesics. But when I sit back and reflect on it, I think this isn't right. But that's the doctor voice saying it isn't right. The GP advice is saying I'll give her the anti-inflammatories and we'll get her to chug along. And I think for all that, uh, always having concerns about our identity probably makes us more sensitive to what patients are going through. Because many people don't have strong identities. Many people in jobs, portfolio jobs, they don't have a strong identity. It's in medicine where some of the identities are very strong. So you also you know, talked about GPs being indispensable to society. You talked about the history of GPs. You know, the dispensary doctor is no longer, but you know, GPs are indispensable. And that really came to the fore, didn't it, when the COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, it did. I mean, most of us uh, in general practice have to put up with the the well-meaning person who will say, are you a specialist or are you just a GP? And I haven't heard many people say, are you just a GP to me in the last year and a half? It's been interesting that complaints about GPs have fallen away very much because people realise that actually the only person in their corner was the GP. And of course, it has led to uh, an increase in profile. Uh, We've had an agile response to the pandemic. And that has got people to think about what we do. My ICGP colleagues have had a very distinct voice on uh, the radio in particular. And... uh, the kind of voice that people can relate to. So people could uh, listen to uh, Nuala O'Connor or Mary Favier and say, yeah, they've addressed my concerns exactly. And they haven't been alarmist because the nature of advocacy, unfortunately, among some hospital colleagues and indeed some scientists who also emerged uh, in the pandemic is to frighten the living daylights, I was going to say something else, frighten the living daylights out of people. Whereas when you're in a pandemic, you're frightened. Um, And having this reassuring voice coming along and saying, well, okay, yes, you're frightened, but you needn't be as frightened as you are. And here's what you need to do. And that, I think, showed par excellence the doctor, uh, not the GP. It was the doctor responding, and which is to comfort People and that's one of the uh, uh, one of the mottos that we have is to comfort always. Because you hear that refrain now on radio and TV all the time now. If you have any worries, ring your GP. Oh you yes, which has workload, <laughs> has workload ramifications, doesn't it? The 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 the, the three words uh, Ronald Reagan said. The three words that um, uh, that people should uh, most dread from the government is "We're here to help." 
Well, the three words that uh, we as GPs should learn to dread is ask your GP. And uh, of course, and this is one of the, the, the things that will disable primary care, is that we will have people coming along asking us stuff that they should go to citizens' advice or they should go to social workers or they should just go on the internet or whatever mm -hmm. and look up. Instead of that, it's much handier to ring your GP. And we will have to develop boundaries yeah. to uh, manage and cope with all that. Well, you're triaging already, aren't you? I mean, when you phone a GP yes, now, are, you've, yes. you're given your options and, yeah, and, and, yeah. and it can take several days now though, to see your GP. Yes, it can. Yeah. And of course, this is a bone of contention. It's, it's, a, it's a point of tension between uh, GPs and patients. I mean, <laughs> patients here are quick enough to say, oh, we can never get you nowadays. I don't know where you are. And um, they've been trying to get through or they've been trying to talk to a particular doctor who knows their situation. But the problems are not urgent. They can be dealt with this week or next week. So we will have to train people to say, well, we'll get back to you. We won't leave you out there. We'll get back to you. And we'll have to honour that contract with them as well to make sure we do get back to them and find them. And people are amazingly accessible now with mobile phones. And you moved over as to video calls and to phone calls yourself. And this practice did and all GPs did yeah. when the lockdown came, yeah, yeah. which was a flexible and very quick response to the situation as it was. So the, the, the telephone call part now of general practice has become bigger, hasn't it, than it did before? It has become bigger. Uh, one of the things I find it, it, because I'm at it a long time, it was utterly strange to me uh, because I've spent a lifetime uh, sitting face-to-face -face with people and then to have to move to the phone but you know human nature is very adaptable and I now find that I take a very good history from people I find out how long they've had the symptoms what the symptoms are how they're discommoding them and then I may need to see them and I've taken I've already done 50% of the job I need to see them then to examine them I don't go over that ground again I ask them has anything changed and then I examine the patient and then do blood tests or x-rays as required. Looking to the future now, Tom, what do you see the future of general practice looking like? Well, I suppose Ireland has been particularly good with the personal doctoring, personal care, where um, people refer to my doctor and they know who that doctor is and they know his or her ways and they know uh, his or her availability. Uh, what COVID has done is it has blurred those lines a bit, particularly in practices like this where we have uh, several doctors. Um, listening to the graduates of our GP training schemes, I don't think many of them will want to work in single-handed practices. And I think unless we get it right in the deprived and rural areas, unless we make it interesting enough for them, and unless we build in services that include uh, locums for holidays and uh, illness and that kind of thing, rural practice in particular and deprived area practice will suffer and actually is in danger. I think practices that have been able to develop centres like this and like others 
will continue because our graduates coming out don't want the loneliness of general practice. I think there is a loneliness in general practice. You're sitting in your room and if you don't have another colleague to talk to, it's a very isolated job. And I don't think our colleagues who now come out, they're used to other people around, they're taught in groups, they know how to perform in groups, how to work in groups, they enjoy it a lot. They will find it very difficult to work in a single or even a two-person practice. So what's the solution then? I mean, people listening to this will say, well, it's all very well and fine for Tom. He's in Tala with a big population around him. and he can... He's near the end of his days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that now, but in the sense of it's easy, in the sense for you to be able to sustain. How many GPs are here at the moment? Probably on the floor, there's probably about 10. 10. Yeah. Compared to, say, the middle of Offaly or even there are quite a lot of problems over towards the Barrow Peninsula and Cork and Kerry at the moment. They'll say, well, we can't sustain a model like Tom has in Dublin because we don't have the population. So what are you talking about, a kind of a hub and spoke model or something like that? I think something like that. And uh, one of my ICGP colleagues on the council mentioned something very interesting, which is we're now moved in places like uh, uh, Limerick and RCSI and UCD have moved to graduate entry. And many of our graduate entrants have large debt as they come out. And the experience, uh, uh, they, they said that they would value a financial package which would attract them to rural areas or deprived areas uh, that would allow them to pay off their debt or to manage their debt much better. So I think we've got to think in very left-field manners And I think that we need ready access to locums, we need ready access to supports, and we do need to have a dialogue with patients. The ICGP is calling for a commission on the future of general practice, and I think part of that will be the patient voice and to say to people, listen, you have chosen to live in this very beautiful but quite remote area. It's not an area that is attractive to making a living for a doctor who has a certain expectation of a certain salary. Now, how do we go about providing you with good care and the doctor with a reasonable living? So what you're saying is that it needs discussion, it needs all the stakeholders and the patient groups to sit down and say, how are we going to solve this problem? Well, you see, going back to what you said earlier, we're indispensable to society. And part of that deal is that society has to have input and has to have informed input. There's no point of a TD raging on RTE or in the Doyle and saying uh, that he blames uh, the, uh, the HSE for not providing doctors. It needs to be much broader and more informed than that. Well, on that note, we're going to leave the We'll leave the world the problems as they are. Exactly. Professor Tom O'Dowd, thanks for joining us on the GP Works podcast. You can listen to other episodes on SoundCloud and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow ICGP on Twitter at ICGP News. I'm Elena Mara. Thanks for listening. <laughs>